For customer-facing businesses, success is defined by your ability to get customer experience and personalization right every time. But the nature of being customer-centric is changing. The days of chasing as much hard data as possible, like gender, age, location, income, or occupation, are coming to an end. Today, putting customers at the heart of what you do means building relationships based on human interactions, balancing data-driven marketing strategies with ethical concerns and customer privacy. In this episode, we'll be exploring how you can implement human-to-human interactions at scale with customer privacy front and center with examples from the luxury retail sector. You're listening to TechForce Middle East, a new podcast celebrating trailblazers in the region. And today, we're joined by Brendan Flood, Group CRM Director at Chilhu Group, a leading partner for some of the most prestigious luxury brands across the Middle East. Brendan is a CRM director, a digital marketing expert who has kicked off his career at startup Buddy Media and played a pivotal role in shaping Salesforce's marketing cloud and social studio. He then shifted gears to MCM, a luxury retailer, where he led a global CRM strategy for high net worth clientele. Now at Chilhu Group, he's evolutionizing CRM across the region and putting customers front and center. Guys, excited to have Brendan Flood Group, CRM Director at Shaloub. Brendan, great to have you. Pleasure to be here, man. Thanks. Just before we started rolling, we were talking about the flexibility of remote work. And I asked you if you'd had that experience in the past. Yeah. Uh, when I was in New York, I had a lot of flexibility simply because we were a very small office, very small team. So it was kind of like the Wild West because everyone's working so much all the time that if you, you just had to do what you had to do. Uh, then I moved here and I moved in January 2020, which was a mandatory work from home period, right? Immediately, um, pretty much immediately. So kind of coming out of that of being home all the time and trying to get back into a new normal like everybody else, it was, all right, we need to have, you know, some give, right? The, the old way of doing something it's not, we can't do it. Like you can't just put me back in that box again. Uh, but it's been great because the company has been very, you know, flexible and like amenable to, you know, people's voices and opinions. And now we have a pretty flexible work schedule that, you know, and I mean, it's great. You know, I, I really like the, the opportunity to kind of have a life and still work. You know, you said that you arrived in Dubai in January, 22, 20, January, 2020. Yes. Everything looked perfect for about six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and then it went, went south. Yeah. Everything. What was it like being here during that time? Oh man. So, I mean, I come in, new country, new job, no, no one, don't have anything set up. Um, I move into my apartment and, and I foster a dog. And then that week, <laughs> the office says we're closed. The 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 adoption place says that's your dog now. I'm keeping that, <laughs> right? And you were in your house for nine months, uh, and it was it was. I mean, I don't know who kept who sane out of the two of us, but it was a uh, it was it was a challenge. But it was I liked that the approach in the region was very. Um, it was methodical. It was. You know, they they allowed some freedoms while being understanding that you can't just have whatever you want. But Dubai is a city of conveniences anyway. Like anything that you want, you can get on your phone. You know, you can order anything and it's going to come to your house in like an hour. You know, so your groceries, your gas for your car, you know, anything is just coming. So it was already kind of set up to be 
adaptable in that situation, um, which worked out. Uh, I had no idea that it was going to be just me and my dog in a, in a room for, for almost a year. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it allowed me to kind of focus on what I was doing. Getting acclimated was actually a bit easier because when you first start in some place and you're just in the office and there's all these faces and names and it takes a while to kind of even understand what it is that you're doing. It was very focused, right? We have a daily call. You're doing these things today. And that was how it kind of ran for a while. So getting up to speed didn't, it wasn't like jump into the water and swim with sharks. It was, okay, we have a gradual transition because everyone had to make a lot of changes and adjustments. So it ended up working in my favor. We were talking a little bit before about how you went from New York to, to Dubai. In New York, in your history, you've worked for digital agencies like Body Media. What made you want to make that transition from that B2B digital agency space to B2C luxury yeah. retail? Yeah, um, I was always into fashion, um, really into uh, clothing and styling and all that. So I had a really good friend of mine who was working at Macy's at the time and introduced me to a role in marketing. Um, and I was like, okay, this is a great segue into a fashion career where I end up as a creative director for, <laughs> for Margiela, right? Uh, you know, just kind of get a foot in and then I'll figure out how to leverage something else. And I just really liked understanding the retail customer like going from being a consumer and someone very interested in the industry to then being in, you know, these big companies to even smaller luxury companies that have a lot of reach and, and a vast different clientele. It just became so much more interesting to understand what the behaviors and what those kind of customers want and how to approach them and how to talk to them. And the fun stuff was, you know, the fashion weeks and the film festivals and all that. But that was just kind of like icing on the cake. I, I really liked the getting to understand like the nitty gritty, right? Like really getting to know what the luxury space is like and who's in that luxury space and what it is that they kind of, what their wants and needs are. Um, I just kind of, it just kind of became, you know, the progression of my career from there. Amazing. And what do you feel are the nuances when it comes to marketing to a luxury client or anyone else? Because people think that just because it's luxury, it just comes, it's just because it's a higher price tag, but it's a lot more to that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of nuances to luxury and, and working in a luxury space where you have, you know, just your regular consumer goods, where those are things people um, need, right? Selling something to someone that they need is, that's the easy part, right? But yeah. Luxury is just things that people want. No one needs any of it, right? They want it. So a lot of people are aspirational. Um, they, it, it's an affinity that they want to associate their identity with. Um, or they're in a, a realm of which they can have kind of whatever they want. And you're really trying to get them to want to be a part of what your brand is versus you selling them a good. Because to be fair, most people that shop mostly luxury can buy 
anything. Whatever they want. Whatever they want, right? So you're not trying to get someone to get something they need, right? You are getting them to continue a relationship with your brand, with your company that hopefully exists over a longer period of time. So the goods are kind of secondary. It's more how can you tie who they are, who they want to be, or who they identify as with yourself, right? And, and you're selling that relationship more than you're selling the bag or the shoes or the watch, you know, because they can go anywhere and get that. So why would they go to you? Um, and that's like where that affinity comes into play. And that's what you have to kind of play into. You talk about how it's important for people to have an affinity with a particular brand because ultimately it's going to be part of their identity. Yeah. But it's also important for you to understand that customer first so that you can market to them in the right way. How important is it to understand your customer beyond just demographics, name, postcode, address, yeah. et cetera, male, female, so on? How, is, how important is it to get to the crux of who that person is? Yeah, I mean, it's everything, right? Um, especially within our space. Demographics was is a very... Um, it's a very traditional way of marketing where it comes from a, like a buyer and merchandiser perspective, right? You have buyers and planners, you have merchandisers who need to understand demographics of a customer base to do inventory planning and buying decisions. Okay, we need to have this amount of men's items and women's items. We need these age ranges to go to a design team and say, we want this type of trend to be prevalent in our collection. But that's not what we're dealing with anymore where it's less important to know your gender or age or nationality it's more important to know your interests your aspirations your family life right because that's how you actually connect those pieces together and start to build that relationship knowing the things that you know you can get off of a facebook page or a linkedin page helps buyers and planners, but marketers need to lean into the person. And when you're dealing with a lot of individuals, going off of like aggregate demographics doesn't really help you, right? Like it's, it's gotta, you gotta lean into individual characteristics and start planning around how can I approach this person on an individual one-to-one -one level versus like a one-to-many level, because that's really the space that we need to we're transitioning into is personal connections and having to have that affinity requires having a personal connection. You know, we talk a lot about this idea of transitioning from one to many mass communication towards hyper-personalization, especially in the luxury space. Yeah. You know, you talked about it there briefly. How, how do you actually go about doing it practically? It's, it's difficult. It's a challenge. Hyper-personalization is in a way, trying to tailor one idea to a lot of different perspectives, right? And at the core of it is having the right idea, right? So when you want to get something hyper-personalized, one, it comes from what information do you know? You don't want to send the wrong message, right? You want to make sure that it's the right message, right time. So a lot of times it's not even about what the like particular hyper personalized bit is it's intent and it's delivery right so if you want to go from you know 
a a really structured or traditional kind of campaign based this is what it is this is the campaign it's going out and everyone's going to see it something that's more tailored to a one individual basis you take what information you have you start structuring what variables you need to create around that those pieces of information that data structure and then start laying in what your intention is for it right do i want them to be inspired do i want them to feel creative do i want them to um when i come into the store do i want them to come online do i want them to download the app do i want them to learn something do i want them to be guided in something and create your variables around that and start thinking about how you can you can execute that you know what piece of information do you need to have to make that informational or inspirational and start building that into how you think about your campaign objectives and ultimately you'll arrive at something that's very multifaceted and doesn't appeal to everyone because it's not supposed to it's supposed to appeal to specific people at specific times and it takes a lot more effort you know it takes a lot of you know work with your creative teams a lot of work with your your, your marketing executives and it takes a lot of work with your analysts to come to some accord of how you can turn a database of a lot of people into a database of individuals yeah you know you said something which i haven't heard being explained in that way before which is to meet the customer in the middle there's one way to go all the way out to do this hyper personalization which to me sounds a little bit extreme but you meet somewhere in the middle where you personalize a little bit but also you start to create avenues for sentiments and feelings you know does this person want to be inspired does this person want to go on holiday does the person want to do xyz so what you're saying is let's meet them in the middle yeah a little bit of personalization we create the experiences and actually that's where the the best work happens yeah you'll i mean you'll go mental trying to get so hyper personalized hyper like down to that kind of niche nitty-gritty and there's an argument that do you really need to be that hyper personalized in most senses you don't right unless you have a very very particular product and offering or experience that you're trying to uh create or have people consume then in most cases you're not going to have something everyone's going to want at that point in time but what you can have is a a realm in which they can remain engaged in so when you do have something that they want they're willing to go to you to get it right and that's not that that takes building um like you said kind of that middle point of we'll come here with you and we're going to come here with you because we want you to trust that when you need that extra bit we'll fulfill it right you don't have to do it today but you have to trust I'll do it tomorrow or when you're ready and that's kind of the the gap you have to bridge with personalization or you know any of these content pieces that are focused around you know getting that customer engagement We talked about you coming to the UAE just I mean weeks before the pandemic at a time where luxury retailers and other brands and brands in general had to shift their focus away from trying to do everything and doing more with less focused on short-term revenue goals basically trying to survive. Yeah. Do you feel that organizations have made the transition out of that mindset now, you know, 3 or 4 years on, 3 years on? I think organizations are dealing with the consequences of that and by consequences i mean when crisis happens and suddenly you have to completely shift your way of thinking or even your operating model 
you do things very quickly to respond to this crisis. Now, fast does not mean smooth, right? And I think a lot of places are coming to terms with the speed in which they did things now needs foundational work to make it solid, which is a plus for both the business and for the consumer because you're going to end up with a stronger product offering and a way of giving that customer, serving that customer expectation, which now we know can change on a dime, right? Going from brick and mortar, people are going to come to our flagships and people are going to walk these boulevards and these avenues and, and see branding and logos and storefronts and all this VM in front of them and that's going to bring them into there's no one outside <laughs> there's no one on the street there's no one in the cars there's no one in the mall how do i get a full season in front of someone to to inspire them to want to be you know a member of my brand okay let's switch to ecom let's switch to apps let's switch to self-service and that was done very very quickly and there was a lot of success with it and then things started to normalize again, and you have heavy investment into digital products that might not be as omni-channel as they should be, right? And you have to now kind of come back to, all right, we need to be more foundational in how we approach a customer, because the expectations have changed. We want things in a particular way now that's different than when we wanted it four or five years ago. And instead of thinking we're going to come back to normal, it's there's no normal, right? There's new. So instead of trying to shift back to normal, we need to shift to what's new. And what's new is you have to be able to deliver on customer expectation wherever they are. If they're in your mall, if they're in your, if they're on your site, if they're in their house, you have to give them the same experience and you have to give them the same level of satisfaction and expectation that they're expecting. With the huge proliferation of data and technologies such as AI, machine learning, data analytics, data integration, allowing you to collect a huge amount of data on every single individual and people en masse, how do you feel companies need to make a distinction between what they can do with data and what they should do with data? Yeah, um, I think we're entering into uncharted territory, right? Uh, the things that AI and machine learning are able to do off of information you had no idea they even had is completely unprecedented, right? Where a company or any organization needs to think about is what does this serve? Does it serve my interests or my customer's interests? And start to make their decisions around who it is that they're trying to serve. Do they want to serve their customer's interests? If so, do they need to know every single thing about an individual to serve their interest? In most cases, no. If it doesn't serve the purpose of providing something a customer is looking to you for, 
you really need to strongly consider, do you need it? And we have access to a lot of things we did not have access to. And it's on the company and the individuals and the executives in those companies to say, look, we don't need everything. We have a mission, we have a purpose, we're here to serve that purpose and serve that mission. Anything out of that is extraneous and we don't need it. And that is where you really honor your privacy and your trust with the consumers that you have or want to have by acknowledging that there's things you can have, but you don't take because it's not fit for purpose. And you kind of have to have those decisions. One of the things that I'd like to talk about as well is using that data in the context of trust in regions that have very strict regulations such as GDPR in Europe and regulations around the world. How do you try to maintain trust with your customer when we're talking about this gap between who am I actually serving? Am I serving my customer or the interests of my company? How do you maintain trust in that middle area there? Yeah, I think, I mean, GDPR set a great tone of, you know, we are going to exceed in some regards what the average consumer thinks they should be protected from. It was very forward thinking of, we are going to go beyond what we think you should be protected from to safeguard you from anything that may come in the future. And using that as a standard of policy to say, you know, there's what we are just barely, you know, able to do or required to do. Let's do the minimum requirement versus let's think ahead and make that headroom to say, you know, I really want to foundationally have a trust built policy. So I'm going to go beyond what's just required of me and build in policies and procedures that allow a future proof kind of set of standards. And that's really how you get that trust built foundation of, yeah, I can, I can just do what you think I should do, or I can go a step further. And I, I played sports growing up a lot. And I had a coach who said, you know, the difference between okay and good is a mile. The difference between good and great is a centimeter. It's that small. And that's just taking what that extra step, that little bit more that takes you to the next level. I'd like to transition slightly to your, your history with, with Salesforce. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you got to working with Salesforce. I know you worked on our marketing cloud and social studio tools. Yeah. Has that helped you in your current career in understanding CRM, evaluating CRM systems, and then ultimately implementing them in places that you've worked in? Yeah. Uh, Salesforce was purely accidental. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I started off at a, at a small agency that was doing social listening, um, which then got into social monitoring and publishing. And then Salesforce came into the picture to move that organization into what became Marketing Cloud and Social Studio. And the really instrumental part to what led to kind of the rest of my career was needing to understand how these systems 
worked together at a technical level and then being able to translate how they work together to a B2B level. So talking to someone who's using it as an end user in a way that is accessible from someone who's not going to get into the nitty gritty of how these APIs connect these data points together and pull in things. And it was, I have use cases. I need to know, can I use this for what I need to do it for? And so moving through my career, being able to start with a technical developmental mindset of, okay, but how does it work? Right? Like, how does it actually work to then be able to take away and, okay, I know how I can use it. Right? Now I know how I can use it and maybe I can use it in a creative way or maybe I can use it in a way that my organization needs or maybe it won't work for what my organization needs, but being able to understand that. I mean, you go into a pitch, you know, you go into a demo, everything works in a demo. Right? There's never, I've never been in a demo where it didn't fit exactly. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Everything you perfect. nailed it, guys. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's always going to be perfect. It's our job at the end of the day yeah. to do it. Yeah. You know, but when I need to put it in my environment in real life, totally different ball game. Completely different game. Right. It's the math always works in a lab. But when you take it out, that's when things have to really work. Um, so it's been, it's been, you know, working on Salesforce products, working on tech products, working on marketing products, marketing technology has really allowed me to get a really good understanding of how to translate what the business needs into what the business needs to have. Because I guess the business, what they want and what they actually need is two separate things, yeah. right? I mean, they, they, they want a dancing bear. <laughs> they, they want a bear dancing. backflips on the table. Spinning around, yeah. like, you know, they want it to do everything, what bells and whistles, everything. But does that really going back to is it fit for purpose? Does it address a, a company need or a customer need? Then does is it really necessary to have things that don't work for your organization? We we will always want. I mean, different parts of the business will always want something else or something more or the new big thing. Or we need to have a stop a shop in in the metaverse, and it's like today still on excel <laughs> right? like, you know like this i got you, you this is a csv file of, of your contact yeah. information are you ready really ready to do this you know you kind of have to start making things relative and start doing things in stages it's fine to do things in phases building that tech stack is going from the things that are going to last you 10 years to things that are going to last you five years to things that are commoditized and going to be a year or two years those top things are what everyone gets excited about but those bottom things hold everything up and you've got to start at the bottom. Everyone talks about having this massive goal that they want to aspire to, AI, metaverse, as you say, but they forget about the fact that to get to that goal, you need to start with small steps. Yeah. And the small steps are the building blocks for that massive goal, right? Yeah. And no one is interested in the small steps. Right. You know, they want the, the bear doing backflips in the metaverse, and they forget the little small steps that they need to take. Yeah. So it's really important for you know people like yourself that have the technological background to explain to people, no, you need to put this left foot forward, and your right foot forward and then grow as you move forward, right? Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> uh, the same kind of coach. He always had little really crazy sayings where everyone wants to go to heaven. No one wants to die. <laughs> and it's like everyone wants to get to this dream state. No one wants to get to the hard point where you have to, be, where you have to make a transition. And it's, it is those baby steps. It's those small incremental changes that allow you to get to a realm where you can 
you can deviate and have interesting and innovative things. If it's not built off top of something that's strong and solid and foundational, it's going to fall apart. And it's going to be useless to you in a year. I mean, a lot of, a lot of what came out of, you know, the, the pandemic period was things that were unsustainable, either from an operating perspective or even from a technical perspective, but it just had to be done really quickly to just try to salvage, you know, some bottom line. And then going back to, oh, we realized that this doesn't really work or this isn't actually what we thought it was going to be. Either that evolves or it fails. The ones that evolved had things to support it foundationally. The ones that failed didn't have anything and they fell apart. You talked about your coach twice. What sport did you play? I was a track and field runner. God. Uh, what uh, distances? Oh, 400 meter hurdles, 200 meter dash, and I did the long and triple jump. Uh, he put me in the the decathlon one time just as a joke. <laughs> and you have to yeah, do everything. Yeah, you have the pole vault, and I had, I had learned, I'm learning pole. on the day how to pole vault. It was that's <laughs> pretty dangerous. Yeah, he was he was you know he he would put you through the fire, but I learned probably more about myself and about life from that that coach and that team than anything else. Of you would you would. <laughs> Real story, 100% true. He would take us, we'd wake us up at 6 a.m., go to the gym, big uh, basketball court, and he would say, roll on the ground, like just two rolls on the ground. And his words, if you get dizzy, it because you're, it's because your mind is weak. It is fully not <laughs> You can, it's impossible to not get dizzy. Get dizzy. Right? So you stand up and you... You, you know, you start complaining, you start, you know, whinging and, and moaning and like, this is ridiculous. He would then add something else ridiculous. Okay, pick someone up, put him on your back and hop up the bleacher stairs. All right, so you're picking up someone, putting him on your back and you're trying to hop up the stairs. And if you get to the top, okay, go back down. And you did it on two legs, okay, do it on one. He would make you do something until you physically could not do something else. And then he would say, okay, you've reached the limit today. Tomorrow, we're going to move past that. All right? So each time would be something ridiculous, something you've never thought was even humanly possible to do. And the next day, he's like, we're going to challenge that again. I want you to understand that you don't have limits, that there is nothing you can't do if you try it and you push yourself again and you push yourself again. You don't have limits. You think it's physically impossible. It's not. Just keep doing it and then do something else and then do something else and then do something else. There's no barriers to you. How else is he going to get you to achieve your true potential if he doesn't push you past that limit, right? Right. You know, you, if you don't hit your breaking point, if you don't really hit that peak that you have to push through, you don't get to the other side. That's that centimeter, right, between good and great. A good person is always going to do what's expected of them. A great person is going to do a little bit more. And he, was, he wanted us to be great, not even just as athletes, but as individuals, as people in your interactions, in your relationships, in your work, in your interests. Yeah, you can just do whatever, whatever, but can you push yourself to do a little bit more? And then the next day, can you get up and do it again? And the people that really succeed are the ones that do it consistently over a long period of time. And they make those incremental changes as we go along. And you realize you don't have limits. There's always something more you can do. You realize like you're at max operating at 60%. Yeah. You know, and you, th and you think you're yeah, um, okay, so you're, you're firing on all cylinders when actually you're not. There's always an extra half a percent to push. 
yeah. whether it takes six months or two weeks. If if you're looking around and you're, you know, you're seeing a lot of people doing the same thing, you're not doing enough. And you should be looking around like, I don't see anyone doing what I'm doing right now. <laughs> That's when you kind of think I'm either at a peak or I'm at a valley. And either one of them will inspire a change, right? Either what I'm doing, no one is doing because I'm doing it right, or no one's doing because I haven't figured out how to do this yet. Okay, what level of my self-awareness do I have to know which one it is? And then how can I then go forward again? What sports do you do now, if any? Uh, not many. I mean, I, I, do, I do work out, but mostly just for, like, habit. <laughs> you know, something i need to do yeah which is which is weird because i i had played i had played every sport you know basketball baseball track and field football tennis soccer golf for most of my life and then i got into my mid-20s and the professional career was not manifesting right <laughs> so okay uh Let's just, you know, figure out this fashion world or this, you know, <laughs> this, 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 uh, this, this other realm. But I still, I still have training habits and training habits are setting a goal, working towards that goal, meeting it, setting the next goal. Making a plan. Making a plan. Going again. Doing that, going again. So when I go to the gym, I can't just go casually. <laughs> like I go and I'm, it's, it's a very intense you know 45 minutes to an hour for no, i have nothing to like, achieve i just have to do i have to beat that last you know wait spread okay i have to i have to do one more rep than i did the last time i have to do just that extra set i have to lift a little bit more i have to run this a little bit faster i have to get the smile in a little bit shorter time there's no competition in, you know i would love to do like a rec league but We'll see. I mean, it's, I, I think that'd be fun. I did I did them plenty when I was in New York. I just didn't find it yet in Dubai, but hopefully I do. We've talked about what you do at work. We've talked about your, your history as, a, as an athlete. What else do you do outside of your, your day-to-day? What other, what other interests do you have? You know, I started this thing where I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but every year, typically around my birthday, I will pick a new pursuit or interest and do that for a year be it photography or i have i have sony a seven cameras too <laughs> photography or film or last year was the guitar or plants like figure out how to you know keep a, have a massive wall of plants now i try to find something art painting some creative pursuit, some interest or hobby, and just try it for a year. And if I stick with it, I just incorporate it into what it is that I do. If I don't, I just pick something else. So outside of work, I mean, I'm always doing something. Like it's, I, my, my house is kind of crazy. <laughs> Upstairs I have like microphones and instruments and downstairs I've got a massive array of like cooking appliances and tools because I'm trying out new recipes and, and trying to figure out how to do something different. And in the garden, there's like a forest. And it's like, so I've got a lot, a lot of things. I try to keep my mind active and I try to, again, try something different and commit to trying something different 
for a long span of time and didn't do it, do it again. It's kind of a pattern. <laughs> I kinda, I'm realizing I, I kind of have a, this, a, a very particular like kind of thing, but I'm always interested in something else. I mean, I know we wanted to talk about luxury retail in this podcast, but the intensity and density of lessons that people can take out of this is massive. You know, going from okay to good is huge. Going from good to great is a very, very small amount. You know, we talked about pushing past your limits. We talked about being creative and trying something new every year for a year and seeing how it goes. I actually did check you out. You've got a huge Instagram page when it comes to your photography. And it does make sense why you do it for a year because the last time you posted a picture was about a year ago. <laughs> so when I checked that, I was like, the guy tries something for a year and builds 30,000 followers on Instagram, however many you have. And that was just a side hustle. Yeah, that was just, uh, that was just fun. Right? And learning lighting and uh, how to set up, you know, angles and how to get the right depth of field. I mean, it was fascinating. I kind of, I kind of feel as if I see the world through like a sixteen by nine frame. Like everything to me is a, is a frame, and it's either a still or it's a scene. And if it's a scene, it's soundtracked. All right, so there's like a there's a song that will start playing as I'm looking at something happening. And I kind of soundtrack things as they go. And I keep a list of things of like, this would be the perfect for, if there was ever a movie about my life, I would like use this song, this song, this song, and this song, because it's, it's going to fit this this <laughs> moment. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the photography page was, it was, it was a learning and it was a lot of fun to explore that bit. I'm still interested in it. I'm going to probably pick it back up. Man, so you did a hobby and you took pictures of ASAP Rocky. Yeah. Uh, I actually was backstage at his concert at Wireless Film Festival in London in 2016, 2015. Uh, and it's because I won a pull-up contest. It was really random. <laughs> like, it was so random. It was like the most, one of the most random things ever. But it was like he had just released the album and he's, and he's at the wireless store. And we were doing, I remember because it was, it was, uh, it was in London on July 4th. So I had like an American flag shirt on to be super obnoxious. About. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm doing this pull-up contest and like, okay, you won. Do you want to go backstage and, you know, meet the next act going up and have it be ASAP Rocky and, and his, uh, his group going up. Um, and we're just kind of sitting like right next to the stage as they're performing. Uh, it was just a fun time. It's just say yes to it. Like, you know, like whatever the thing is, just go for it. Just go for it. Just say yes. That's, that has led to the most fun or eventful things that ever happened to me is just saying yes to, yes to the thing. Brendan, you are a true all-rounder. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I think people are going to get a lot out of this, this episode. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. Been a, honestly, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Hello, everyone. It's Mark the host of TechForce Middle East, a new podcast sponsored by Salesforce that explores some of the important issues affecting Middle East businesses today. Every month, we'll be joined by emerging entrepreneurs, startups, and leading companies to explore how they're navigating through some of the biggest changes of our time, whether it's about financial performance and inclusion, the future of work, digital-first customer experiences, or gender empowerment. We'll be learning from the best. So grab a cup of coffee and listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button below and please continue the conversation in the comments. See you soon.